0: For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. And now your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you, and the truth that is rooted
2: within me. Well, if I unmute myself, hi and welcome to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, and we welcome you to the show. We've been doing all this week with Gail and looking at uh, abuse programs such as Alcoholics Anonymous and and the correlation with that and the forgiveness work, and she's with us again today. We're excited to to continue with this conversation. Today's Friday, December the fourth, 2015. Our call-in number is 646 200 Six nine, press one, and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael.
3: Thank you, dear heart, and welcome everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us for our conversation about this awesome ancient technology of healing uh one of the things I appreciated that Gail shared with us on Monday is that uh. The root of the 12th Step program initially came out of a thing called the Oxford Group, which was a group practicing what was understood then to be first century Christianity, not, not today's, uh, what should I say, stories that passes the original teachings, but actually going back more to the first century and what was actually, for those who, heard the words of Yeshua, had the tools of Yeshua, what it took to work through the issues that tend to run people's lives. And, you know, one of the uh, the things we return to often is the recognition that perception, which is what informs us to do certain behaviors, is all based in calculations and computations made by the mind we've been taught that we're looking through a set of windows on the world and we see what's happening out there. And that teaching is an absolute, total, complete, 100% proven scientific fraud. It's just not true. Once you recognize that, then you realize that your mind is always computing based on its content and constructing the world that you see. In fact, there's a CIA website where they have a study of perception and quote from the CIA and their research on perception, we do not record what is happening in the world, we construct the world that we see. So recognizing that we construct the world that we see, then you realize that the world you see, that you live in, though we think through our windows we're looking at the same thing, it's not true. We can be standing ostensibly looking at the same world, but the computation your mind makes based on your thousand generations of data produces a totally different perceptual world than that which my mind computes based on a thousand generation of data generations pardon me, of data. Recognizing that The idea is to bring the perceptual system into the greatest harmony it can have with truth. And what we're speaking of, what we've been talking about all week, is the anonymous systems that have developed over the years to assist people in changing the computations made out of each individual's, we could say, multi-generational database, that thousand generations of data. What we know is that if fear or hostility enter into the process, been signaled that your computation is incorrect and will not serve your highest and best possibilities. It's a signal that it's time to deconstruct the result of your computations. And deconstructing the result of a perceptual computation made by your mind is called forgiveness. What the Greek culture has taught us is that forgiveness is about letting ourselves or somebody else off the hook for something that we have or have not done. When that has nothing whatsoever to do with forgiveness, forgiveness is a tool for removing that which is in your mind that is at the root of your pain, for accessing and relieving yourself of the root of that pain. So the deconstruction process, the removal process, is called forgiveness. And as you enter into the the process of forgiveness, you become freed from literally the capacity for hostility or fear. There are many systems that have been developed over the eons for teaching people to do that. One that has proven very powerful for those in the most dire of circumstances are the 12-step programs. And again, the root of that goes back to the first century language of Yeshua and the work that we're doing. And, and I'm, I was so delighted when I heard that um, from you, Gail, the, the root of the 12-step program, that's not something that I had heard before because it's right back to here's how the game of life works and here's how to remove yourself from pain, how to release yourself from what's at the root of all pain. And when you do that, you correct the error at the root of the mind's output so the output improves, and that increases the possibility that the end result, perception, will serve your highest and best as a human being. All realities, all perception is based on generations of such computations And so recognizing that the possibility for the introduction of, of error is endless. There's an infallible signal that will tell you your perception. Therefore, your mind is in error and needs repair, and that is if it produces hostility or fear. So it's in our best interest to deconstruct, that is, forgive as often as necessary until we arrive at flawless perception. A perception that sparkles with the active presence of love continuously. No matter what's happening in your world, people will say, well, that made me sad, that made me mad, that made me angry, that hurt me. That's all a lie. If I have hurt in my system now – Somebody comes up and punches me in the nose, cancel the thought, that's a little different situation. But short of somebody coming up and punching you in the nose, all hurt, all pain, all trauma, is something that comes from that multi-generational database and its activity. When you correct the perceptual system, there's a word, rachma, in Aramaic. That was the word that was used to to describe what was required to achieve what was called the first law. And it was have not love for the God neighbor and as self, but rather maintain this condition of love in your mind, this condition of rachma in your mind, so that your perception sparkles with the presence of love, even in events that someone would say are very painful events. Once you get to the point where you can do that, then you know you are well along in your process of healing. We mentioned Jonas Salk yesterday and one of the... uh, quotes that I love from Jonas Salk is he said and of course he's the inventor of the Salk vaccine he says our greatest responsibility is to be good ancestors how do you be a good ancestor you do the work of cleaning up your perceptual system so that the one that you pass on to the next generation It's clean, it's clear, it's going to give that next generation the best possible chance of really truly living as a human life. And when you think about it, it, you know, who makes the great breakthroughs in this world of human endeavor? It's those whose computations that create reality, the output of the mind, are based in truth and love. The rest are mired in insanity. Loveless minds based in hostility or fear and healing looks like the removal, the forgiveness of what never belonged. So that's what we're here to support. And uh, let's say hello to Gail. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate the input you're giving to us. I was talking to another gentleman who uh, has been doing the work for quite some time now and uh, shared with him uh, what was happening, and he wasn't able to be in the um, involved in the shows earlier in the week he was involved in some meetings but uh last night about eleven thirty, he he uh, having been in a programs for 20 years or more he texted me and said he was listening to the uh, second hour and he just was in love with what was happening in the show so so right. lots of folks are really uh, responding to that and welcome glad that you're here once again
1: Great. Well I, I am very grateful to be a part of all of this and to to be invited to contribute the pieces of the puzzle that I have to offer. So that's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome.
3: Honored.
1: Um Yeah, same here. And that was a great lead. Um that's what we call like when somebody speaks for the first, you know, ten, fifteen minutes in a meeting. Um we call those a lead. <laughs> so that was a great lead. Um, which what it ties in perfectly perfectly with what I was going to bring today, and that was to start looking at what the inventory process and plus programs look like versus what it looks like on the sheet. And we've all agreed so far that the sheet, the the wake up sheet, is an inventory in itself. Um, but there's also an inventory within the inventory on the wake-up sheet that is similar to what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd like to point great. out us about also... It. Oh, what you say? I'm sorry.
3: I was just saying, great, tell us about it.
1: Okay, gotcha. Um, one of the things that I do want to point out is that the way I was taught to do the, the inventory process comes out of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous other 12 step groups have different ways of doing their inventory and i want to acknowledge that as well um how i've been taught how to do the inventory process is that it's a it's a 14 step or 14 column process and what is addressed in in the inventory process is in uh resentments uh fear Sex conduct and harms done to others, and so there's four sheets with that. Or and also there's a written exercise for the sex inventory, uh, inventory part. And I was just going to start with the resentment part. There's four four columns that we do, and we do it by column. We go down instead of going across. And in the in the first column, we write down the name of the people that we have resentments against and so we write down that list and we do a lot of prayer before that, you know, ask God or to reveal to us who we need to write down, what we need to look at. In the second column, we write down why we're angry at them. Um so what I usually have people do is I have them write down a list on a separate piece of paper and then when we get to the sheets, um have them write down the name and then what they did so they have enough room and then write down the next name after they're done with writing down what they did. Um, And then the next column, what we look at is um, what part of self was threatened. And there's seven, seven different parts of self. And that is uh, self-esteem, which is what we think of ourselves, pride, And that's what we think other people think about us. Emotional security, pocketbook, which would be our finances or material. Ambitions, and that would be our ambitions are where we think we should be in different societies or family systems or in school or at our job. Personal relations and sex relations. And the thinking here is that if we are God-centered, or as as we say in the Aramaic system, um, if we're able to express ourselves as being as being love, then what other people do outside of us does not affect us. And so the premise here too is that if we're God centered, we're not gonna be affected by what other people do. But if we're self centered, we need to examine how we've allowed ourselves to be affected by by examining those seven seven things. And then in the fourth column, we start to turn this back on ourselves and um to examine what our thinking is and to start to examine how we might have set different such situations in motion. So we're starting to go inside instead of projecting out there what they did to me or um and how I've been affected by what they did um it it's now we we ask ourselves five questions and then we start to write about how we set this in motion and the and the five questions are where was i dishonest selfish self-seeking frightened and inconsiderate and that that tells me your goals you know what goals did i have for you and um and then after we ask those questions about different situations, then we're able to look at ourselves and to see where we we were at fault or to blame or to to start to take responsibility for our own thinking and how we put ourselves or manifested that situation. And I'm going to give an example of what this might look like and I do the same thing that you do as well, how you have the same example for Sally and how she's angry at her boss. Um, I have the same example as well. And I was thrilled that you do that because I, when I'm, you know, uh, showing or I, I don't want to say teaching, but teaching or, or demonstrating how to work the steps, um, I use the same example as well. So, Anyway, the example that I use every single time that I present this piece is, of course, um, the father of my children, my ex, so to speak. I'm not supposed to call him the ex anymore, but um, his, his name is Kyle, and so I put his name in the first thing. Um, what he did, he cheated on me. He was very abusive. He never got sober in our relationship, and, and the list goes on. Um What did he affect? He affected everything. Um, He affected self-esteem, pride, emotional security, pocketbook, uh, ambitions, personal relations, and sex relations for sure. And then when I started to turn this back on me, where was I dishonest, selfish, self-seeking, frightened, and inconsiderate? I could say I was dishonest with him because I wasn't able to be me with him. And so that was one way of being dishonest with him. Um, the way that I was selfish with him is that I did not acknowledge his disease as, um, as, as being a disease. I was selfish because I wanted his 100% attention. And if he couldn't give it to me the way that I wanted it, then I would cheat. On him, I would seek that attention um, someplace else. So that was how I was selfish, is in that way. Self seeking is still wanting all of his attention. I was very addicted to the father of my children and was very much addicted to his, the attention that he gave me when he gave it to me in a certain way. And so I was constantly seeking that or trying to get that from him because I wasn't comfortable or had, uh, have, how did you say that the other day, had pain that I was trying to reconcile through through our relationship and, and being addicted to him. Frightened, I was constantly frightened in that relationship. But the the primary fear that I entered that relationship in was I, I didn't feel like I could be me. I felt like I had to be somebody else. So he was in a relationship with the false me, you know, with the real Gail, please please stand up. And and um I was frightened in all relationships to be the real authentic self because of fear of rejection. What if you really do reject the real me? And then inconsiderate, I I was totally completely inconsiderate of his needs. And the primary thing for me is that I wanted to save him and and thinking that if I saved him, that he would save me. So and, and save saving me back, him, meant... he would be so much in love with me that he would not leave.
3: And and what would saving him look like? Having him behave the way you wanted him to behave.
1: Exactly, me, it's, he would get clean. He would get sober. He would be this perfect guy. And yeah, exactly. So it was my agenda well, on saving well... him.
3: Yeah, of course, the perfect guy would be the guy who does what I want him to do, not necessarily anything to do with him, because in the same way you're talking about I wasn't allowed to be me, notice that I could not allow him to be him. He had to be the perfect guy. And, and I think that that happens so commonly in relationship as a result of our power person experience that at a very very early age, we learn that who we are is not acceptable. And therefore, we try to do an assessment in each situation of who does this person need for me to be in order to, quote, unquote, love me, which actually means approve of me. And the lengths that people will go to to be approved of are just amazing. And so so we give up the true self. And then, of course, having given up the true self long before we met the person we're currently in relationship with, in the, in the non-being state of mind, there's always a desire to blame that person for the fact that I'm still doing what I learned to do probably by the time I was four. And, and when we speak about, you know, somebody hurting us or making us angry or whatever, you know, nobody's ever made it hurt any. Again, short of punching somebody in the nose, nobody's ever hurt anybody or made anybody angry. But if there's anger in there, certainly there's going to be a whole parade of people who can bring it up and when i move out Absolutely. of the blame game and and into taking responsibility that's when i can start to go oh this is mine i'm going to pull this one out and throw it away from by the root rather than let them off the hook for the fact that it's in there inside of me
1: and and the fact that we we list everybody's names that we have i, I most definitely when i do when i did my first inventory i was able to see what the aid of a sponsor when i did my fist up was able to see the pattern and was able to trace that back to my father. Um, definitely the need to having been abandoned by my father at the age of five with a divorce and um, him being a Vietnam vet and being able to get his needs met through my mother, what he thought he needed to have his needs met, and being told that your father wouldn't have left if you were a boy, et cetera, et cetera I did get to the place where I felt like I needed to save both of my parents' in order to change them so they would be better parents and meet my needs. So that, that is most definitely a cycle of behavior that I um, was able to look at by doing this inventory and do, also doing a um, doing fist-up and talking to a sponsor who was able to identify the, the cycle or the pattern as well.
2: So just to give an example of... Uh, go ahead.
3: I'm just going to say it's interesting how deeply we can fool ourselves and why it's so important to have a sponsor or have someone who will guide us through the process because the inherent nature of what we call in in this work, of course, the non-being mind is blockage of truth. And everybody's got a story for everything that happens in their world and their story is usually about somebody else or about themselves and and not in a responsible way but rather in a blaming way and so having someone outside of yourself who can flip back to you your words your thoughts your behaviors your patterns is such a big and important step in the process because that blockage of truth is just so deeply ingrained in each mind and to move out of you know as we said yesterday the oxford group and worked with the book of james and james so clearly says you've got to stop your denial i mean there's the root of the whole recovery program is stop your denial there's the root of the forgiveness process as long as i'm and our definition of denial is when i think or speak as though something outside of me is causing something to happen inside of me i'm in denial and the part of me that now i need to contact and heal i've dissociated from and all this work is about recovering recapturing the dissociated parts of the mind and bringing them to love for healing
1: agreed agreed cool. agreed Go for it. um the next part the next part of the the um of the inventory process is looking at our fears and we write down our fears in one column and then in the second column, we write down, um, we write down, the the same thing. With how has relying self-reliance instead of, of God-reliance allowed me to have these areas of my life affected? And same thing, looking at self-esteem, pride, emotional security, pocketbook, ambitions, personal relations, and sex relations. And then the the third column. With the fear is to examine what it might have looked like if I would have been more god centered and um for instance my one of my fears that I wrote down is um well uh, i probably um is going to the store I don't like going to the store, and the big part of me going to the store is being in crowds and not um, being able to concentrate the, the attention deficit disorder, just having so many different stimuli and, and distractions that I'm, I have a difficult time concentrating on what I need to buy and how much I can spend. And so I don't like going. And so I, I write that down going to the store, what does it affect? And then I examine if instead of, using my survival skills in order to go to the store, if I become more God centered and, and start to rely on God to go to go to the store, what would that look like? And and to start to really address the fear, look at it instead of reacting to it. So that is the purpose of Killer Sheet or that particular area of the inventory that we look at. We also look at the inventory, um, and we also look at fear in the resentment part two, you know, where it asks where were we frightened. And when I did my first inventory, I saw fear all over every single name that I wrote down. There was fear involved in every single place. Um, it also talks about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about fear being... Um, Oh, an all-encompassing all thread that, that oh, I'm not even quoting it right, but it, it reaches every part of our existence. It touches everything. And, and I was well, able to finally, me as an alcoholic that would be willing to jump on a bar stool and start dancing or get into the first fight I could get into, I did not think that I was I didn't think that I had any fear, and this was very enlightening. Um, the second inventory I did with a sponsor at two years of sobriety, I think Protein 3, um, very much pointed out my fear. And one of my biggest fears besides going to the store was fear of being alone, and that that fear of being alone and not being able to face myself or be comfortable enough to be alone with myself, always meeting that distraction, um, was very enlightening for me. And that enabled me to get out of that 16-year, extremely abusive, revolving door relationship that I was in. Because my fear of being alone outweighed my fear of getting beat up or uh, what other things were going it. on. In that relationship.
3: That's quite a uh, that's quite a catch twenty two. I have a fear of being with people, and I have a fear of being alone. Maybe <laughs> maybe the truth is maybe the truth is I don't have a fear of anything. I just have fear. That's why it's all pervasive because the fear literally is the filter that we look through. It isn't something we have about this person or that one or that one. It's just a filter that we look through, and I think oftentimes the reason for what's called attention deficit disorder has nothing to do with the disorder, has nothing to do with an error in the brain. It has to do with one who came up in such a threatening environment that in order to feel the least bit safe, they had to be continuously on guard and observing the environment because they didn't know when they were going to be blindsided. And so when one comes to the point of trust, when one will move into trust that there is a, An energy field in which we live, move, and have our being, and we can listen to that and trust, then we're going to be informed if there's something to be aware of, and we're going to be informed as to exactly what behavior will have us survive optimally if we can listen to that, rather than the mind, which is constantly looking, darting from place to place to place in order to try to assuage its fear Going to the root of the fear and removing it and no longer looking through that filter opens a whole different space in us. So but powerful way to uh, to approach it, to come from that inventory. I'd never heard that detailed an aspect of the inventory. That's powerful.
1: That's why I wanted to, it, you know, that's why I wanted to present it because a lot of people have a lot of misnomers, uh, and you've said that yourself of AA, of the steps, of the AA history where it comes from, and and also there's a lot of misconceptions about the inventory process as well, and and, and right, well, carry on. Tell itself. It. The next, the next thing that we look at is fear. I mean, I'm sorry, am um, sex conduct. And because you take self-centered fear and you combine sex conduct with that, and that is most definitely a recipe for disaster. For me, this is the, the, the worst way that I could hurt somebody else and hurt myself as well. And um, once again, we write down – and th- this takes a, a little bit different of a turn – this isn't so much about what they did to me in in a relationship or a sexual context it this is what I did to them. And um so we write down who did we hurt and then um and what we did to them. And a lot of the questions for here is did did we provoke jealousy? Did did we remain faithful? Um and so the next thing is that we'd write down is, you know, who did we hurt? How did we hurt them? And then what did it affect? Again, what part of self, why, why were we justifying doing what we did in, in this arena? And once again, the, the same questions of what was affected as self-esteem, pride, you know, emotional security, pocketbook, ambition, personal relations and sex, sex relation. And then, um, There are, I'm going to back up for a second. Every step has a prayer and a promise. And what I mean by that is that um, there's a prayer to proceed, and and there's also um, promises that after we do this, that this is what we're going to receive after we do this. And there is a third-step prayer that we do, and there are also five or four-step prayers. Um, There is the resentment prayer, which asks us to um, keep us from being angry, help us to see that the other person is sick as well. There's a fear prayer that asks God to um, remove our fear so we can be who you need us to be. And there's three sex prayers. And um, prayers is that we ask God to mold our ideals and to help us live up to them we ask God in meditation what we should do in each specific matter, and we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. And so, we examine um, in in the sex sex part of the inventory. We look at what we did to them, and look look inside of us. To and, and I start to see a pattern of if I couldn't get the kind of attention the way that I wanted the attention, then it was I would move on to the next person. And thinking that, you know, even though it was the next person, it's obviously a change in effects. It's not looking at myself and my thinking and addressing my my beliefs and what's inside of me. It's just trying to get a void filled by somebody else or a chemical or so that was very enlightening as well, to see that pattern in in all my relationships, starting from my very first crush in the third grade and and my expectations of him and how I behaved, and up on to um, adulthood looking at at those behaviors and those expectations and and those goals that I had for them.
3: I think that um, a, a good corollary to that that comes from this work on our Healing Through Relationships and Codependence work is to recognize that the real purpose of relationship, the real purpose of the body, is to incarnate as love, and the real purpose of relationship is to learn to function as love and hold a space of love in interaction with another person. And that moving on to the next person pretends to be easy in terms of, oh well, if this one isn't, you know, just doing what I want them to do and they're not perfect, which of course is a reflection of my own imperfection, I go on and find somebody else who will be perfect and of course they won't be and the next one won't, and the next one won't, because I'm not. And the the power of really being in fully committed relationship is that you have to go to depth in yourself and be looking at, and if you're doing your work in the context of the relationship, then the integrity of that single committed relationship that supports you in going to depth inside of yourself and working with the reflections that come within the context of relationship, the things that surface in the context of relationship and the depth of intimacy that comes from not flitting the mind from one place to another, one relationship to another, to another, to another, which is simply the avoidance of going to depth in self. So it's uh, again, sounds like it really perfectly uh, complements exactly what we've developed in the uh, codependence work. Perfect.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely and agreed. Uh, the, ne- the next part for the sex conduct, or the looking at our sex conduct, is that we write a list on a separate piece of paper about what we want. You know, we ask God to mold our ideals and and to live up with them to them. And so we write down our ideals about what we want in a relationship. And if we write down honesty, I was kind of tricked into this. My first my first sponsor had me do this and um i write all these things down that i want and you know i want honesty i want loyalty i want somebody that is trustworthy i want somebody that I can laugh and have fun with and um want somebody that works the steps and is in the program <clears throat> and is committed to their recovery and and as soon as i wrote those all down she, and and shared them with her she's like well you have to be these too it's like damn <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. It, it was like, if, if you want this, you have to be this. You have to do this as well.
3: Well, <laughs> and The truth is, the tr- is that bringing something up for you? <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm coughing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, the only place you can get it is inside yourself. Nobody else can give Absolutely. it to you. Absolutely. Someone else can support you in having it inside yourself. And as you give it as a gift, you get to receive it. And as they give it as a gift, they get to receive it. And that's the power of working in a relationship. It's so awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. I loved it. At first it was like, ah, and then I was like, okay, you know, I get this. So if I want it, I need to do it. Great. And um, this was an exercise that I brought forth when I was a substance abuse counselor in the prison. Um, I did this with the guys as well. (laughs) It was great. It was great. Um, for them to start to examine that for themselves. Um, The the last part that we do in the inventory process is that we look at harms done to others. And this is people or places or things that we don't have a resentment attached to, we don't necessarily have a fear attached to, and we don't have sexual contact. None of that. It's just random acts of harm that we might have just done either in an inebriated state or in a very selfish state of mind, that would be like, you know, bit, you know, bitching out the um, the Walmart checker because she just wasn't going fast enough and, um, or running down somebody that's trying to cross the street or just being very, you know, flipping off somebody at a four way stop or just that kind of, you know, being inconsiderate and being extremely selfish and it being all about me and acting out to those people um, because guilt, shame, and remorse also blocks us off from God. So being able to list those people that we have harmed that we don't have the other things attached to is helpful as well. And another the,
3: way, uh, another way to say that. from the context of the why is this happening to me again work would be I need to start to look at all the places in my life where I have given up my human life in -hmm. order to behave in a way other than human. And that, that becomes the reflection that shows me in order to flip somebody off of the four way, I had to give up love in myself. Why would I do that to myself? Well, you know, I don't deserve it, I don't have it, I'll I've never had it, I can never be it. You know, whatever that whole story is about and then once again, of course, back to the forgiveness process, the reality management wake-up sheet to start to remove the dynamics that take me out of the presence of love. So that inventory too is 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 another very powerful reflection.
1: Agreed. So we'll we'll go on to step 5. Um Step five Let's is it. we admitted to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Wait, did I say that all? We admit to God to ourselves and to another human being. And what I see in the in the wake up sheet, um, the forming of the goal for me and the canceling of the goal for me would be uh, similar for me in the fourth column of the four step looking, starting to examine that, starting to examine the goals that I have for other people and starting to canceling those goals for other people, I see as as that being the interwoven part of, of the four-step. And, and the four-step being, I don't think I've said it out loud, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And that means by looking up all the words is that we are on a fact-finding and fact-facing proposition or mission. We're just looking at the facts of of our behavior and, and our thinking. And so um, to get down to the fifth step is um, it they talk about in the big book, basically just go find anybody um, to talk about this with. Um, now they're saying it's better to do it with a sponsor so a sponsor could get to know you. And it, it is most definitely a skill set to listen to a fifth step instead of allowing somebody to get into the what they did to me, it's, it's a time to get the mirror out and have them look in the mirror. And I was thrilled with your talk about mirrors as well. You know, you, the timing of being John the Baptist, to either put the mirror up there or to duck, um, it We use mirrors as well, it, and the sponsor is a perfect person if they have the skill set to get that, that mirror up there and to gently point out our character defects and how we've set our circumstances in motion that have put us in the position that we've put ourselves in to be hurt. And um, there's three parts to that, talking to God, talking to ourselves, admitting to God, admitting to ourselves and to another human being. I see the admittance to God and admittance to self in this I invite in Ruka Dakucha to, to incline me towards healing and and what happened in five B to be a part of that fifth step because it's most definitely we're inviting in Ruka to show us these things or admitting to her to have them removed, but also we're we're talking to ourselves as well. And then in the when when I process with you or I process with Jeannie or if I'm at an intensive and we're in the back room with me and Susan are in the back room processing, <laughs> that that's when we talk to another human being um, about what we've discovered in doing the wake-up sheet. So, I think, so those are my thoughts there.
3: Perfect. I think that also one of the reasons for having – I would assume this probably would tie in more with the idea of a sponsor of the person you're going to share this with is someone who is capable of being the space of active, present love, can shine that active Mm -hmm. presence of love into uh, the mind so that I can see deeper in my mind and what I access in the presence of that love begins to heal. I, I don't need to be sharing my deepest, bearing my deepest soul secrets to somebody who's going to go puke it around the neighborhood and or Absolutely. is going to throw it back in my face in a way that uh, that doesn't support healing. So that's powerful. And I, I just realized that I got a text from Jeannie saying that Magda had her hand up. Let's check and see if Magda okay, still has her great. hand up. She's got a thought for us. Yes, Magda. Magda, you're
4: on. Hi. Hi, hey, everybody. Hey there, young lady. Um, yeah. Hi. I do have a question for you. I, yesterday you were talking a little bit about responsibility communication, and I know you said you're going to go into that a little bit more on Monday. However, I have a question for you today because I'm going to be working with Scott in a little while on playing, doing some role-playing with responsibility communication. And I realize that I need more clarification for step number four, if you would be willing to depart from the conversation you're having now, and and explain that quickly, and then I'll get off the line and let you go back to to what you're doing.
3: Do you have a specific refinement, specific question about it, uh, Magda? Yes.
4: Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. I thought that I've heard you recently say when you've explained this to new people that in number four, when you say what I want, that mm-hmm. in some way that could be a request like what I want from you other than support is to do this or that or that. And and no. that not being problem-solving, not about I need you to change this way. Or, uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit more confused than I
3: thought I was Okay. Excuse what? the uh siren going by. I'm sitting outside uh-huh. the car, but the step four there, the request is is always related to the support I'm looking for, the input I'm looking for for healing. So it's not a request I'm going to make of you that you do something or don't do something. It would always be, you know, I've I've laid out a scenario I've, I've acknowledged that I have a, pro- a problem. I have an issue that I'd like support and healing, and and then the step four is, do you have any ideas that will support me in my healing process? That's the strict uh, meaning of that step. It's, it doesn't go outside of that realm. What you know, it might be you know, your suggestion might be let's do a worksheet together, let's breathe, let's do the commitment, let's do uh, you know a codependent okay. sheet, let's. So that Michael, would be what that one about. I think about. that's number yes, five.
4: Ma'am. Do you have any ideas with number five?
3: Okay, I understood What's, you to say that what what you're asking for. Number five. I don't have the sheet in front of me, yeah, but you asked number totally five. Funny.
4: Maybe that's what I need to ask. Because in number five, it says, Do you have any ideas? Right. And so I'm, I guess I'm not sure what number four is. Is it to set the person up for number five? But I want your support in helping me to heal this. And and then number five, do you have any ideas?
3: Well, I I'm I'm not sure where you're going with the the question was that you were asking something of them. That's why I was asking for clarification.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah, I I I thought that recently, um, sometime during the summer, I heard you referring to step four, what I want, and that that is where you could request something of the other person, oh. and that was the first time I heard it. So did I miss
3: this okay.
4: Yeah.
3: What, what I want is support in my healing. So in, in that step, okay. I'm being really clear that my request, as opposed to I want you to change or something external needs to change, that step is right. about clarifying my issue and then asking for support in healing that issue and being really clear the only way place to go for uh, a request in that is the request for support in my healing process and then okay, in okay. step five would be the specific of what might that look like the worksheet or what have you gotcha
4: gotcha all right fine well then I don't i I heard the wrong thing, or i whatever, so thank thank you very okay. much for the clarification <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Cool. you guys all have all a wonderful right. weekend and um and continue with your well this is the last day, isn't it it's gonna it's been a great week for the the uh, subject and topic that you've been talking about, so continue yeah. <laughs> okay no all all right, right. I Let hear your voice you too <laughs> yeah you did a great job take care dude. I miss you Bye-bye. thank you <laughs> oh you're welcome and thank you
3: <laughs> all right blessings and you know it, it ties that whole question ties right in with exactly what we're talking about with the inventory because I'm really sitting in front of a sponsor asking them to reflect to me what they see that is my work so that I can get clear on what I'm in block to truth about and what I need to clean up inside of me. So, you know, in the, in the context of the uh, communication, did you hear what I think I said? uh, Workshop. What we point out is that oftentimes all that people are interested in is problem solving. You know, uh, gee, you came home, you frightened me. I'm scared. It's your fault. How about if you never come home like that again? I'm going to, solve that problem where the clarity is to shift out of, I'm going to solve the problem that you caused by coming home that way. The clarity is I want to step into my healing. So I realize that you came home a certain way and maybe I could point out and prove to you that it's inappropriate, but that's beside the point. The truth is I went into fear. So what I'm looking to do is to to understand the root of my fear and to heal the root of my fear. And so what I'm asking for in that step is always in the focal point being always looking for support in my healing process as opposed to the change that I think will make it all go away and then I won't have to deal with it. Absolutely. So it fits very well with this uh right here at this at this juncture with the uh the inventory and and having that person in front of me that can really truly having done their work hold the space for me to go through that piece of my work, it's pretty awesome.
1: And, and they share, or and I share when I listen to Fist Steps, I share my experience as well. I don't become an expert on this, you know. I I share my experience because we have the same experiences and how how that went and and what I what I did in order to, you know, make that better for myself. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the confidentiality is most definitely very, very, very important. Um, yes this is a this is a very all the steps are very sacred, but this is a very sacred um step to to maintain that confidence of somebody else's and um you know basically buy with that information
3: to me also one of the um one of the uh, the things that really makes someone highly skilled at listening to that fifth step is the ability to really listen to people's words and reflect those words back to them. If we know how to listen, people will always tell us exactly what the core problem is. We don't have to figure it out. We just need to listen to their words. It's encoded in those words. And if we know how to listen and reflect those back, if someone's in the denial process in the middle of it, you know, and they say, well, and this person was just... So snotty, and no, no, no. It's like, okay, so let's go back to now. When have you been snotty? Tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> and and just, you know, bingo, there it is. There it is. Yes, yes. And Absolutely. that goes back to the first century. You go back to uh, Romans, where they say, "Beware you who judge another, for that in which you judge another, you have been guilty of practicing."
1: Absolutely. How,
3: how could they say that? Because you got to have the brain cells before you can see it. You know, as it's said popularly, I think, in the 12-step programs, if you spot it, you got it.
4: Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah, can't see it absolutely. without the brain cells. It's a bummer, isn't it?
1: It is a bummer. It can be a bummer, but it could also be what sets us free by seeing it. And acknowledging yeah, the good, the good
3: news and the bad news.
1: <laughs> you got it, but you could get rid of it. But anyway, yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> we continue on to six and seven. Um, that that is pretty quick uh, is, um, so, and I just want to point out that six and seven and eight and nine are coupling steps, six and seven go together, eight and nine go together. And six and seven would be, and I wanted to say it perfectly, but I don't have my page open um, is that we in step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And then step seven is we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And um, the reason why I call them um, uh, coupling steps is in, in step six, we become willing, and in step seven, we do. Same thing for eight, and nine, and eight. We become willing to make amends to them all, and then step nine, we make amends. And the words, character defects and shortcomings, a lot of people didn't know what these were. And I was listening for the longest time. Um, I, I was listening to it, Joe and Charlie, who are circuit speakers for Alcoholics Anonymous. They said that they didn't know what they meant either, and then they finally went back to a relative of the lady that Bill Wilson was doing dictation to to write the manuscript for the big book. And she said that they're errors in thought, they're thinking errors. Uh, one of the little quirks that Bill Wilson had is that he took a night course after he um, he fought in World War One and he came home, uh, obviously, a veteran at a very young age, and he started to go to night school. And he, when he went to night school and took his English class or his composition class, his teacher told him that he was an idiot because he was he, repeated too many words. So what he tells in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a lot of people um, curse him, is that he uses all different kind of words. He most definitely got his thesaurus out and changed all the words up. And so basically, character defects and shortcomings are the same. Um and, and that there are thoughts and error are errors errors in thought and and we ask God to remove these because we can't work on them. Um if we start to work on them then it's basically ego or working on ego or self working on self or what um, Albert Einstein says that the mind that causes a problem can't solve it. It would be working on our character defects. Is, is trying to maintain that same mind. So, asking them to have them removed is what we do in six and seven. Um, become willing and then do it. And there is a prayer. There is a question in step six. And the question in step six is Are we ready to let go of what we have found is objectionable? So we see our character defects in the fourth column, in the resentment part of the fourth step. We talk about them in, in step five. And then then we become get to the place, we ask ourselves, are, are we ready to let go of these? And I usually, I ask myself this every day. Am I ready to let go of everything that I find that is objectionable? And it's a, usually a resounding, hell yeah. The only thing that I want to hang on to is my sarcasm. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of, the rest of the character you um i am willing to let go so, of, and then they're
3: so let me let me let me throw a thought in here okay <laughs> i'd offer the reason why so many people utilize sarcasm is because it's one of the most powerful non-substance drugs that there is oh it's a drug sarcasm okay is our culture's socially acceptable way of expressing otherwise unexpressible rage. And rage is the deepest level of hostility as a drug that there is. So when one can come up with that cutting remark, it's very much tied to a deep sense of rage that as it, sh- as it shows up in the structure chemically is a very powerful anesthetic. And The clock just told me that we're down to about 60 seconds, so maybe we can hold that thought. And seeing as how we talked about doing something different on Monday, maybe we could revisit this and finish the last few steps on Tuesday. Would that work for you, Gail?
1: On Tuesday, I could do that.
3: Awesome. Well, let's do that. We're down to uh, closure time, so we're going to have to close it out. Maybe we can just pick it up right from, uh, from the place we're at right now. And on Monday, we're going to talk a little more about responsibility communication. So hopefully, we'll hear from Magda. She had some things to share with us last time. And we're going to review some of the uh, refinements of the responsibility communication process. In the meantime, have an awesome weekend. And uh, if this show has been meaningful, there's an MP3 of it on the website. Grab it. Download it to your computer. And send it to somebody. Attach it to an email. Share the tools with others. Bring a stranger to the show on Monday. If you're ready to take your work to the next level, uh, the whole month of February we'll be in Orlando doing intensives. Come and join us. Blessings. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.